three hosts, you have myself, Timo, Hi. You have Lachlan. Daddy. And Ruben. Hi. Now, those of you who have the unfortunate pleasure of watching our heads every week, you will spot that I am wearing the hat that we wore in the first episode. Not because I've run out of hats, but because I strongly believe that tonight we are finishing this book. <laughs> and we are coming full circle. So, I have the hat on. In this, in this book, I wrote the date that I started reading this book for this show at the start of the first chapter, which is the 24th of July, 2021. And wow. I finished reading it today at 4.06pm on the 6th of February, 2022, which I wrote <laughs> in the back of the book. So, certainly not a fast read, uh, but certainly knowledge earned rather than uh, junk food knowledge is my thoughts how about you Lachlan? Mate, you've got to uh, take your time and savor the flavor right <laughs> so do you agree Ruben it's uh, knowledge earned yeah I think we've given it it's due considering uh, you know the place that it occupies in the western classics I think there's nothing wrong giving it a bit of extra time yeah agree it also makes me wonder how people read the Bible in a year in a meaningful way. Like, I've always seen those read the Bible in a year programs where you read, I think it's on average two and a half chapters a day. I, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to do that. <laughs> when I go to reread the Bible again, I'm going to just take my time and it might take it, well, the current run rate with this book, it might take me 20 years. But I, I think uh, working through it like that is certainly more sensible for getting things out of it. God, I think I uh, pretty much when we've been reading this book, it's pretty much read two bar paragraphs, stop, think about it, reread two paragraphs, make a couple of notes, <laughs> move on, read some more. It is it, it, it is quite a long process. I mean, you could punch through this in no time, but I don't think you'd extract anywhere near as much as um, you know what we have. I mean, not that we're you know scholarly by any means, but just from a layman's perspective, trying to make sense of it. I think it's been great. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. How about you, Ruben? Yeah, no, I've loved it. I reckon it's the way to do it. If you're going to read something like this, take the time to get as much out of it as you can. You know, and, and the way we've done it too has been fun because we're just, uh, you know, taking our time with it and enjoying it and arguing about it. And yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I think we've all seen different sort of um, aspects to it as well, you know, as we've been talking about it sometimes you know we'll miss certain things and we'll talk about it and go oh we'll pick up on that particular thing while while i was reading it so uh it's been uh been fun to do uh this is the alternate name for this podcast uh ruben's book club um, <laughs> so. you may not want to let me choose the next one <laughs> <laughs> well, well we'll figure that out uh closer to the night but um before we proceed, we cannot break, break tradition, so uh, I'm about to pour myself. I am going to have a glass of Kraken, and uh, excellent. I'm pouring that on camera right now because that is delicious. Now, what I'm going to do, gentlemen, before the next episode, is rewatch the introductions to all the last episodes and document what we drink every week, and then mm. figure out what our preferred uh, beverage was. Per person as well as collectively 
Hi, I'm pretty sure I could guess mine. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's have an experiment. What do you think yours is? Oh, it'll be a GMT for sure. Okay. Uh, there, in, there have been a few different gins, though. I'll I'll say that much. So uh, so maybe you'll have to get specific on there, Tim. <laughs> I won't get. I don't think I'll drill down to the brand specifically, but I think you're onto something. How about you, Ruben? What do you think yours will be? Oh, I, I it's I reckon it's going to come in pretty close between the gin and tonics and the spice rums, but. Um, I think the gin and tonics probably going to edge it out, but I'm not sure. It's mm. about fifty-fifty, I reckon. It, it was the uh, the flavor of COVID, I think. GT. <laughs> <laughs> it tasted like COVID to me. That's why I only had it once. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I know I'm not you're sure. Like your That's the problem, mate. <laughs> I, I think for me it might be beer, but I'm not sure. Could be whiskey, could mm. be rum. I've been a bit all over the shop with it, so. Well, I feel really bad because I, I wasn't organised this week and I haven't got a drink. I have got a bottle of wine in the pantry that can go crack open, but it's it's cork. So if I don't finish it, I got to jam the cork back in there, which is a pain in the butt. So I don't know. Should, should I should I just pop off and, and, and open it up considering it's the last episode? Yes, I'll, I'll pause and we will resume once you have a drink. Pausing now. All right, pausing now. And through the magic of technology, Ruben now has a drink in his hand. <laughs> I do. What is said I've drink? Got a, it's a Campo Viero Origio. I'm saying that, I'm sure I'm saying all that entirely wrong, but it's a Tempranillo, and I think it might be Spanish. Tempranillo? Tempranillo? That's a Spanish variety of grape that uh, they do do in Australia. It's, it's got a map on the, on, the, on the bottle, and it looks like Spain. So there you go. It's intense, complex, and fruity. Just like Fruit you. Fruit here. Did you just call me fruity? Oh, yes, I often thought that's often a descriptive word that comes to mind for Ruben is fruity. <laughs> it's not something anyone would call you anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, intense and complex, I'll, ta- I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. I don't know about the fruity bit. Tongue in cheek. Tongue in cheek, my friend. Indeed. <laughs> All right, well, um, did you know that the soul is immortal? <laughs> um, now, for those of you who are reading, you'll know that I've just chucked a Socrates, like just bringing up something very randomly, seemingly. Um, so I reckon we get into the next part of this chapter 10. The, what did you Absolutely. guys think when you read that? Because yeah, it's hilarious. So he literally finishes talking about what we spoke about last week. Um, which is basically he doesn't like people who tell stories. Yeah. yeah, and we'll get to that in a minute. And then it just suddenly goes, "Are you not aware that the soul of man is immortal and imperishable?" Yeah. <laughs> and where does this come from? It's yeah, I still reckon that is, the stuff about yeah, I still reckon that stuff from last week about him just want to have one last dig at the poets. <laughs> it does. I think it still feels out of place. I, I reckon. I reckon what's happened because. There were plays written about Socrates and it. They made him sound like a sophist, so the poets didn't really like him. I, I reckon that when Plato wrote this, he sort of just jammed that little bit there in the end. You know, you know one mask F you to the poets or something. <laughs> I reckon you're onto something. Couldn't be. <laughs> but yeah, because then he goes on to talk about the, the, the immortal soul, which, which fits in perfectly with where they left off before they started talking about the poets again. Because before mm-hmm. that, they were sort of just wrapping it all up. 
Yeah, for sure. It's quite funny too. It's just, uh, I think Glaucon, uh, by the sound of this, was as surprised as we were um, that he all of a sudden just drops back into the uh, um, chat and soul again because uh, he seems quite taken aback when uh, Socrates sort of drops this bomb and uh, tells him to prove it, which Socrates says is going to be easy. If anyone told me that proving that the soul was immortal was easy, I'd call them a liar. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's just confident because he just nailed justice after nine chapters. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. He's like, oh, we got this. This is easy. This is like making Star Wars 7, 8, and 9. What could go wrong? <laughs> Everything. Everything. <laughs> Everything could go wrong. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so he's out, he asks uh, Socrates to, uh, to prove it. And uh, Socrates kind of kicks off um, saying that, and they talked about this before, that with everything, um, there is a, uh, a good and evil associated with it. And uh, so like a corrupting and destroying element. And um, yeah, so well, corrupting and destroying is obviously the evil element. And uh, the, the saving and improving element is uh, is the good. So it gives a few sort of different examples of that just in other kind of things around the place. So you're saying like rust is the evil to metal and uh, rot is the evil to timber mildew of corn etc etc um which i think we can all kind of follow along with that has some logic to it um and basically what he's sort of saying is that the uh the, the vice and the evil inherent for that particular item will destroy it so like rust destroys the metal in the end right um and if uh, if that evil does not destroy them, then nothing will, is what Socrates says in any case. Uh, or in any, any case, good, it, yeah, a good will not destroy them. But uh, you look, there's a bit of a uh, bit of a leap to take there that uh, you know nothing will destroy them if the inherent evil doesn't destroy them. Um, obviously, like it's fine when you're talking figuratively about you know steel and whatnot, but we're talking about uh, the soul here which is what he's sort of leading to yeah as as a um a, a christian person it's not a surprising statement for me to read that the soul is immortal because um, that's something that christianity says too the, the, well that's the, fine on faith but he yeah. says he can prove it yeah and uh yeah <laughs> but, but then yeah hilariously he decides to use a story to prove it after bagging out people who use stories to prove things. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is true. I honestly that's hilarious. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure he's presenting that myth as a proof though. I think he's tag I thought he tagged that on the end more as like a, a way of explaining what he's trying to say rather than ah, see, presenting it as well, a proof. I, I thought he was using it as a proof because he's he's quoting like the only person he's aware of who has died and then come back to life you know what i mean like he's using it as like a factual report as opposed to something like homer yeah that's it's not maybe right. I, I hadn't thought about it that way yeah mm. i wonder but we'll save the story we'll save the story yeah. <laughs> we can talk about the story um yeah, so anyway, uh, he sort of set the scene a little bit with that whole part about the um, 
yeah, so there's an inherent evil and all that sort of thing um, for every item. So then he sort of leads that to talk about the soul now. <clears throat> and so he's saying, well, um, could the soul itself be um, corrupted or destroyed by the behaviors of an unjust man? And would that actually destroy the soul? Um, more or less, Socrates doesn't believe so because that's not the, the evil of the soul. That's something sort of external to it. Um, so he, I think he used the example of, uh, food that was decomposing and that, uh, you know, if you ate the food that was decomposing, it wouldn't necessarily make you decompose, right? That was the evil of the food, not the evil of your body, so to speak. So saying the two things aren't sort of, uh, um, directly sort of aligned. Is that how you guys took it? Yeah, that part, hundred percent. Um, yep. it was a little bit of a convoluted way to sort of get to there but it was I think that was the point he was trying to make is that you know bearing in mind two and a half thousand years ago um, sure. you know our understanding of germs and that sort of stuff has moved on a little bit but the principle I get what you're saying did you follow it Ruben? yes I, I had to read it a bunch of times before it, it sunk in I'm still not really sure if I, I fully understand it um I, I think, I th yeah, I don't know. Like, I think you got to take it step by step and sort of see if you actually agree with each section. And mm. I'm not sure whether I 100% agree with any of the sections. So I found this really, <laughs> really strange. Um, but so to start with, you've got to accept that uh, each, each thing that exists has uh, has something that has an evil that's unique to that thing. Yeah. Um, but you've got to forget, oh, this is where I got confused. You, you can't, when he says an evil, he defines it. So we're not thinking evil, like a moral evil, like we would ordinarily use the word these days. He's just saying something it's just bad. a thing that, yeah. yeah. And, and, that, and then, but then he's very specific about the fact that what is the evil to one thing, what destroys one thing, can't destroy another thing because that thing that destroys it's unique to it mm. and I, I think the reason he draws that distinction is he goes well what kills the body can't kill the soul yeah i think so he's then, working his formula backwards from the answer yeah <laughs> that's right so then he, so from there he goes well what kills the body can't kill the soul so when the body dies there's no reason to think that uh there's no reason to think that the death of the body would destroy the soul because the only thing that can destroy the soul are the, the things that he described earlier, like injustice and cowardice and things like that. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I think if you accept his premises, like if you accept that, you know, each thing has a, 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 a thing that's unique to it that destroys it, which kind of seems true, I guess, then I, I, I think it's a sound argument. It, it's somewhat, but I mean, it's, uh, I think in some sense, you sort of, you're suspending belief a little bit for the sake of the argument, but the argument's logical, but it's not infallible. But um, are, yeah. Are the premises correct is the question as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah. But, um, I think where I thought, where I thought I was kind of on board, but where I got a little bit iffy is that he basically says, okay, so you've got these, you know, moral 
So the thing that kills the soul are these moral evils, basically, like, you know, injustice and, and cowardice and things like that. So to me, I'm like, oh, that kind of acts like a poison, right? It, it damages the soul. So if, if the body dies and the soul lives on, but you've yep. already committed these evils, who's to say that it doesn't continue to rot the soul to extinction after your death? That's the bit where I was like, I'm not sure. I don't know how you eliminate that possibility. Well, I think to, to Tim's point, I think that might be where he's leaning on the story later on to to, to back that up. Um, and that maybe yeah. that, that's why maybe he seems so um, clear on drawing this conclusion. And I, before we were on camera, we were sort of talking about this and uh, um, it was kind of like, I noticed that there didn't seem to be as much um, argument about this topic, whereas earlier in the book, you would have had Thrasymachus or somebody All jumping in and said, that's and... bullshit, mate. Um, <laughs> you know, where'd you pull that conclusion from? Um, but we're just kind of like, I don't know, I, I was kind of making a joke maybe that it was kind of like, they've all moved onto the bar because they're tired of Socrates is groaning. <laughs> just, now it's just Socrates and Glaucon sitting there. That's why there's no arguments. So... <laughs> And Glaucon's well, a weird chap you know, because he, he constantly says, like, like he'll reverse his answer often. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, he just does that over and over again. Yeah. Yep. It's so true. I, um, he'll just follow along. I, I, like, I think he's right in the sense that, I mean, what kills, you know, what destroys a piece of wood or, you know, a piece of metal rust is not the same thing as destroys... What destroys wood is not the same thing that destroys rust. So you you wouldn't expect it. Um, you, like you wouldn't expect to find metal that's mouldy or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. So I think that's correct, but um, it just it just feels like a really strange argument to me still. Yeah, look, I, I think the argument makes sense if you've already decided that the the soul and the body are two separate things. Yeah, that's a good. Um, point. Yeah, if, if does, you're trying to prove the go... point that they're separate, it, it's probably a bit harder. Yeah, and I think he does kind of try to address that in the bit where he's where he talks about yeah, like if you if you eat rotten food, mm. what is rotting the food is not what rots you, but it might make you sick, and then that causes disease, and then the disease is the evil of the body, but it still can't yeah. say it's the same thing as what was killing the corn or whatever yeah hmm. still did my head in a bit it was like very strange <laughs> yeah i just went yeah. along with it like i i got what he was trying to say and i'm like i yeah. don't 100 percent think that myself but i comprehend what you're trying to say and i'm happy to move forward <laughs> yeah and understand the logic <laughs> of your argument not gonna not gonna poke it too hard yeah i think uh <laughs> I think I did a thrusty Marcus by that stage. Just decided to <laughs> keep going. <laughs> Let him go. Yeah. No, we're nearly there. We're nearly there. Just keep going. Stop arguing. Yeah. Uh, they wrap this but, piece uh, up with this, a, um, a, a quick paragraph. Is, is the crux of it... Oh, sorry. Is, is the, I think the crux of it, like the reason he's going here, though, he hints at, right, when, when they first start talking about it. And um, he's talking about a short span and a long span of things. He's like, just one lifetime is not going to be enough. Um, yeah. Because it, it's a very short, short span. So I think that's why 
in his system of thought that the soul would have to be immortal because then that would account for when you have somebody because you, you could potentially have someone that does the right thing their whole life and have a horrible life yeah, yeah. so I, I think to account for that there has to be an afterlife there has to be a way for those things to play out over a longer period of time so I think that's why he's so dead set on this idea of having of the soul being immortal because then all of those things can play out and justice can be done eventually. And, uh, and yeah, I guess that kind of bleeds into that, the, the story that he ended up telling, the, the myth of Burr or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just read that little uh, paragraph that wraps this, this section up and then uh, we'll move on to the next bit. Um, either then let us refute this conclusion or whilst it remains unrefuted, let us never say that fever or any other disease or the knife put to the throat or even the cutting up of the whole body into the minutest pieces can destroy the soul until she herself is proved to become more unholy or unrighteous in consequence of these things being done to the body, but that the soul or anything else, if not destroyed by an internal evil, can be destroyed by an external one is not to be affirmed by any man. Um, I don't know if that actually makes it clearer, but that's just how they sort of... (laughs) (laughs) wrap that one up do you think he's just trying to really emphasize that the physical has nothing to do with spiritual for sure but then he starts sort of bringing in um that there may still be sort of uh, some consequence for the soul which i guess he wasn't refuting earlier though either maybe they're just not quite sure exactly um how that sort of uh how that's working i guess they're just saying could be some internal evil or something like that or you know, they're saying it can't be affirmed by any man, so I guess it's up to the gods as to, uh, you know, how the the evil of the soul sort of plays out and destroys the soul. Yeah. Mm. I did like what he goes on to say about, basically says, but what we're talking about, what we're observing is the soul as it is in our life, as it's attached to the material world. And so we can't really see it clearly. And he tells some story about some sea creature that's, picked up all of these barnacles and stuff and all these things hanging off and, and until you actually pull it out of the water and all these things come off you won't really see its true essence um i guess the implication there being we can only really see the state of the soul as it is conflicted in this life fully and then yeah the I, I, from there yeah yeah you go yeah look I, I think um yeah that's where he starts to sort of talk about at that point where they're talking about that, they've acknowledged that yeah, the soul and the body is two separate things. Um, and that basically they're sort of saying it's hard for us with our human perspective to see the soul for what the soul is, because all we can see is the physical being, the and body. Conflicted within our own yeah. soul. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that interestingly, uh, the, the, the seaweed encrusted dude, um, was a sea god Glaucus, you know, I always like to look those things up. Um, you reckon, Gla- a, Glaucon was, you reckon Glaucon was named after Glaucus? <laughs> maybe, maybe. He is a merman. Merman. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, but basically saying that dude's all like uh, crusty and manky and all that sort of thing, but you, you can't see the soul within the man. All you can see is this cr- crusty and manky sort of beastie creature in front of you but maybe it's got a pure soul or something like that which you wouldn't necessarily think he's got you know what i mean i think that's kind of what they were trying to get to there 
Uh-huh. I do think it all starts to tie together his whole system of thought, though, in the sense that you know he has those levels of you know those levels of truth, and you know you have the the esoteric truth of, of that highest level of revelation that you know through philosophy mm-hmm. you can locate, and then under that you've got um, other levels of truth, and the lowest one is just your sense data and and, and the and physical yeah. reality. So you can kind of see that sort of all building up to this. Mm-hmm. Um, because he, he almost basically says, because when he's talking about, and I, I might be interpreting this wrong, but my understanding of it is he's talking about um, how the soul can be conflicted in this life. Um, and he, he pretty almost pretty much associates that um, with it being attached to the material world, to the physical world. So it's yeah. almost like this idea that um, the physical world kind of burdens your soul and drags it down and dirties it and, and, and makes you, uh, and sort of almost sullies the soul. Hmm. Um, so kind of like, you know, material reality is, is almost like, almost like an a type of evil, whereas, you know, the, the soul, the, the highest, the soul is, is kind of, you know, the good kind of thing. Um, yeah. And that's, I think that's why he then finishes up by saying um, that's why you have to look to the soul's love of wisdom, which just plays back into his whole thing. You know, you want to leave the cave and go and look out into the sunshine because that's that's the ultimate yeah. reality. Yeah, for, for sure. But it also just ties in with his agenda that, uh, you know, philosopher kings and all that sort of stuff as well. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, the, the fact that you could sort of... Um, look at the, the the soul's love of wisdom uh, as the way of i suppose like measuring the capability of or capability the, the quality of the soul i suppose um yeah it, there's a little um bit on that too so i may as well read that since we're here too yeah go for it uh but not there glaucon um not there must we look where then at her love of wisdom let us see whom she affects and what society and converse she seeks in virtue of her near kindred with the immortal and eternal and divine. Also, how different she would become if wholly following this superior principle and born by a divine impulse out of the ocean in which she now is and disengaged from the stones and shells and things of earth and rock, which in wild variety spring up around her because she feeds upon the earth and is overgrown by the good things of this life as they are termed. Then you would see her as she is and know whether she have one shape only or many or what her nature is uh, of her affections and of the forms which she takes in this present life. I think that we have now said enough. Um, so I think that's kind of speaking also to Rubes, like the fact that he's sort of purporting that the, you know, the, the soul may have gone through a couple of times and be, you know, learning along the way and have had multiple forms and, um, well, which is reincarnation. He, he starts to touch on that in the, in the myth that he's about to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's just kind of what he's sort of setting up to. I, I think the thing is like with the story and the, the myth we're talking about, it, it's very much presupposed information. And, uh, and I think that's why we're getting this sort of flavor coming through on this stuff because, the story is taken as fact so um yeah it's taken as fact yeah, and I it, think, it's um, just the it's the common thing it, it's like mm. i don't know 
what I guess what Christianity is for the West at the moment, or that sort yep. of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. So really, all they're saying is like they'd have no idea what the soul would look like, um, but just concluding it'd be different to what the body that it's currently in looks like. Um, but if you saw its pursuit of wisdom or knowledge, you might have a inkling towards its true nature or something like that. Do you think you it's know, kind I think of it like makes sense too? It makes sense too of his whole Socrates' whole like. Um, why would you just? Why would you chase wealth and money and things like that? Hmm. You know, the dude walks around without. Well, we don't know. He walks around without shoes. That's our joke. We said he, the dude just walks around yeah. without shoes. You know what I mean? Like, because to him, he's, if you you can tell that he really what he's saying here, he really believes it. He really lives it. Yeah. Yeah, like he totally and that, and uh, practices he what he yeah, yeah, that exactly. That's why he just sort of would trot around Athens and 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 tell people and 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 try to find the truth and help people find the truth and all that sort of stuff. Because to him, he's like, that is the ultimate reality kind of thing. You know, that's the most valuable thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. They basically uh, wrap it up at that point. Um, they just they feel like that's kind of a conclusion. Um, he's says that he's fulfilled the conditions of the argument and uh, he just now wants to kind of talk about the, the rewards and glories of justice. Um, yeah, I think for this bit, you've got to remember way back from the start where they, the idea that if you're doing something, if you're doing the right thing because you want the material reward, but you're not, you're then not doing it because it's good within itself. You're not being good because being good is a good thing. You, you're being good yeah, because you, you want something else. Yeah, yeah, so they, they, they've come full circle and all the way back there, back here again. And he's like, well, now we can talk about what the rewards are because we've established that, you know, justice is a good thing in itself. Yeah, and he specifically calls out that it's not uh, the rewards is called out in the uh, the stories of Homer and Hesiod and um, that the, these are the, the real rewards that um, justice of our own nature is going to uh, going to show for the uh, for the soul. So um, he's um, he calls out, or I'm calling this his uh, victory palm dance because he's uh, he's calling these things the palms of victory uh, for, for each one that uh, that he sort of notches up. So uh, so he's got he's got three. So uh, let's kick off with well, victory palm number one. Before we do, before we do, I yep. just want to make special mention, given our episode title last week was that. Uh, Socrates prefers Tolkien over hmm. uh, George R. R. Martin. That um, immediately he immediately says that uh, let a man do what is just, whether he have the ring of Gygus or not. And even if, in addition to the ring of Gygus, he puts on the helmet of Hades, it's another Lord of the Rings reference. There's, yeah. there's the ring of power once again. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely <it> loves <laughs> <Yeah>. Tolkien. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. You got it. You got it in one. <laughs> we, yeah, we have found that justice is itself the best thing for our true self, and that we should act justly, whether or not we have the ring of Gyges or the cap of invisibility. Is the way that my uh, my book puts it. I guess exactly. that helmet must be the cap of invisibility. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that uh, going back to that uh, Gollum example that we read months ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you can get away with it, why would you still do the right thing? And this is why. Because, yeah. 
because justice is good within itself and it will harm your soul yeah correct so um so yeah so then they kick off with this uh victory palm number one and like similar as we sort of talking about that ring um they're sort of casting their minds back to the start of the argument as well where um glaucon originally put forward the argument that the uh, the just man should appear unjust um and that the unjust man appears just i don't know if you guys remember that argument right at the start and it's saying yep, that the, yep, the people yep. who obviously uh, look the best are actually the most crooked and the ones uh you know who uh, who are actually just if they look too just then people you know um will take advantage of them and they'll get screwed over everywhere and well that's exactly what that's exactly what socrates says yeah uh, he, he says that to him um yeah where is it uh and now glaucon there'll be no harm in further enumerating how many and how great are the rewards which justice and the other virtues procure from the soul gods and men both in life and after death certainly not will you repay me then what you borrowed in the argument what did i borrow the assumption that the just man should appear unjust and the unjust just were you of opinion that even if the true state of the case could not possibly escape the eyes of gods and men still this admission ought to be made for the sake of the argument in order that pure justice might be weighed against pure injustice do you remember i should be much to blame if i had forgotten what does that mean <laughs> i should be much to blame if i forgot like yeah it's my fault if i've forgotten you did yeah. forget because you're like what did yeah. i borrow <laughs> <laughs> this is just how these two you know that's just how they roll right how many krakens in is he nothing. by this stage like that's i feel like he's eight krakens in and he's like what did i say huh <laughs> he's just so bamboozled by uh socrates he's uh he's like, well, whatever you're saying man you know like, yeah let's, let's get this let's get this sure i said up. that yeah is it um is, is that that whole bit is a really simple way to say that that basically for the sake of the argument they Socrates just accepted that uh, if you're a good person, people will think you're bad. And if you're a bad person, people will think you're good. And he's saying, well, uh, that's not always the case. And let's dispel with that. Uh, that maybe. I, I, I felt he was wanting to defend justice. And he's like, you know, I can't let that slide. Now that we've exposed everything and gone through everything, we need to revisit that statement because that statement's box. Yeah, I, I, I think I that's like exactly that. Yeah, I think but that's exactly the what they're doing. The, the, the statement being that the just person will appear unjust, and vice versa. Well, just saying that they shouldn't uh, that that shouldn't be the case, and that now that we understand justice, we should all be champions of justice, more or less. And you know, we should be out there supporting the just man and shouting down the unjust man, and yeah. uh, be you know, uh, superheroes of truth and justice and all that sort of thing. Uh, I, I, I think um, there's something I sort of said here. Um, since she has been shown to confer reality and not to deceive those who truly possess her, let what has been taken from her be given back uh, that so she may win that palm of appearance, which is hers also, um, which uh, and which she gives to her own. So more or less, he's just sort of saying, you know, it should stand on its own two feet that um, a just person who speaks truth and uh, is honest should should be given respect i suppose and um you know it's ridiculous that they should be uh be called stupid for being just because that's basically what they sort of said in the original um at the start of the book yeah was that uh you know if if you look like you're too straight you're an idiot 
Yeah, well, that was the whole Gaiju's Ring of Gaiju's thing. It's like, well, I mean, if you can get away with doing bad things, you're an idiot if you don't. Well, I mean, that's exactly what uh, Thrasymachus and uh, God, I can't remember who the other guy was now, right at the start. But um, Adamantus? Uh, no. Uh, Isn't that Wolverine's medal? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> no, I know that's Adamantium for all those nerds out there. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that one was wrapped up, and then it's uh, it's well, on to excitingly excitingly they move on to something about justice <laughs> shocking victory palm number two so i'm gonna i'm gonna read this paragraph do it which is do exciting it. i've underlined part of it in red because i'm like ah here's here's some of the punchline we've been searching for for the last 20 plus weeks <laughs> um then this must be our notion of the just man that even when he is in poverty or sickness or any other seeming misfortune all things will in the end work together for good to him in life and death for the gods have a care of anyone whose desire is to become just and to be like god as far as man can attain the divine likeness by the pursuit of virtue yes he said if he is like god he will surely not be neglected by him interesting yeah, you so, uh, talk about that god? bible verse that sounds like it almost pretty much it's, it's very close to a, a Bible verse, almost. It oh, is. Okay. It um, is. I had the same thought, Reuben, um, but I don't yeah. have it at hand. Do you have it at hand? I, I don't. It's uh, the verse is something to the effect of all things work together for good for them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Uh, That's pretty good. If, if, if you, I'm if you punch it, it right into now. Google, you'll, you'll, you'll find it out where, where the verse is. I can't remember it is off my head. But, but, but very, very similar. I don't know whether you had any mm. thoughts on that. Uh, is it Romans 8, 28? Here we go. In, oh, Bible Gateway, thank you. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Yeah, that's it. I was. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the one I was quoting is probably King James. Sure. I like ye olde English. I, I, I'm a big fan of King James I've had it for 15 years but uh, this year I've, deci I've decided to switch to the Catholic version interesting mm. <laughs> mainly because there's books in there that I've never read before because they're not in the uh, one that we use there's more than 66 books in the Catholic Bible so I'm reading those on, on the side yeah yeah um, yeah so what did you think about the, the parallel there, if there is any at all? Ah, I was very interested by that. Um, it it kind of just feels similar to what I've noticed in previous weeks, where if you think this through rationally, what's true reveals itself. And so it, it's... Yeah, it feels... It feels not surprising but but pleasant pleasant to see so you, you're finding then I guess you're saying is that you feel it's uh, common because you feel it's true right that, that's what you're sort of yeah, saying yeah I think a... I think Ruben and I have talked about this before I'm not sure if you were in the conversation or like, I can't recall but um, like we basically discussed you know if, if every single copy of the Bible was destroyed um, would would what is written in scripture reappear somehow um, and my conclusion is 
truth remains true whether it's written or not and so if you then use your god-given mind to think things through then you'll get like with the right spirit and and the right uh heart for, for lack of a better word um then you yeah. should get to maybe not exactly verbatim the same truths but you'll get to the truth mm. so if the truth is true then it should appear regardless of where it's written if you're seeking the truth does that make sense i don't yeah, want to say i don't want to say something heretical either because i'm not a minister but <laughs> i certainly don't want to overstep the mark here and accidentally make no, an apologist argument for all all things are the same elephant but <laughs> yeah yeah but what are your thoughts yeah, but, you're, but you're saying that if, it, if it's Univer- like, okay, I can't say it's universally true, but if, if it's if it's well, true and it is true, well, it oh, would be universally true. Hang on, here's here's an example. Two guys invented that. My my understanding is two guys invented diesel as a fuel at roughly the same time, but one guy patented it at first, and that's why it's called yeah. diesel and not something else. They yeah. both discovered the same thing, and they both discovered mm-hmm. it would work, and it's the same formula. But they discovered yep. it at different parts of the world through different channels. But they got to the same fact, like the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And they were separated by distance and time, and whoever got to the patent place first. Yeah. Both of them found the same truth. I, I think it's a similar thing, mm. um, which is why I think when Socrates really thinks through what does a just man look like, he essentially describes what happened to Jesus in the Bible, where he gets crucified and killed for being the just man yeah you know he basically finds the same conclusion through thinking it through rationally um because i believe the universe is a rationally made thing so i think rational thought gets you to truth but what what ruben do you want to am i going into dangerous territory here or what are your thoughts (laughs) no no no. i um i i probably i think the same thing as you i've probably just use different words to say the same thing like you said if something's true um it makes sense like if something's you know well i mean Lachlan said if something's universally true but i I think if something is really true then yeah it is universally true um and so if something is universally true then it makes sense that um people would be landing on that same note throughout history from different perspectives um and that's like you even see that uh, sort of these days in in scientific thinking or even journalistic thinking or history, when you find different people coming to the same conclusion from different either data sets or different worldviews, and they're all coming in and landing on the, on the same thing, I think that's that's usually a pretty strong indicator that there's some truth there. And it, yeah. I think it just makes sense too. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's that. I don't know if that answered the original. I don't even recall no, make, the original question. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. Yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> that was a bit of a tangent. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I love a tangent. Well, um, so does Socrates, they've got, right? They've got, a, they've got a third palm. The, the fine. Uh, the final victory palm. Oh, what's this one? Wait, what was the second palm? That was the second palm. So, uh, so it was the the, reward, the rewards of God for rewarding the just. Yeah, yeah, we're good, we're right. good on that one. We're good on that one. What's Which the, was the third poem? So, so the third one um, was um, really—I'll cut this one short because we've been sort of talking quite a lot. 
but this is actually sort of harking back right to um, the very start of the book um, when they were uh, talking to Paul Marcus's. That's who I was trying to think of before. I think uh, Paul Marcus's uh, father, uh, Cephalus. They don't actually talk about this, but this is kind of the example they're giving. And um, Socrates is talking to him about, you know, like he's an old man and he's getting towards the end of his life and uh, they're talking about how he feels on that sort of thing and how he's uh, calm and has peace because he's done no wrongs against anyone else. He has no debts outstanding to anyone else and he's lived a good and fulfilling life. Uh, and I guess it's about having uh, peace, uh, peace in your soul, in your mind, that you have led a good life and and done the right thing. And essentially he's sort of saying that, uh, you know, the people who've done the wrong thing are going to be tortured into old age and, uh, um, you know, those things are going to manifest in their dreams or whatever it may well be. So the just man will have a clear conscience and uh, that's kind of the third reward by the sound of it. You got something there, Tim? Yeah, I just started smiling because I just read a thing and it just stood out like crazy because I've been watching Boba Fett it says and this is the way just <laughs> and i was just like this is the way this is the way <laughs> but um you um no yeah. i think uh, i i had the exact same thought as you lachlan when i read that bit it brought me back and um i i thought it was amusing because it was really was like he, he's almost gone through this entire book and just come back smack bang and first argument. almost where we're the old bloke right at the start remember the old bloke right at the start said you know this is what it is and then he just kind of walked off laughingly like, yeah, walked off to right. leave you boys to the argument yeah, yeah. <laughs> without a care like, it's almost like yeah, it's like almost like you should just listen to the old bloke at the start we could have saved ourselves a lot of talking <laughs> totally totally you're you're exactly right that's exactly what it's like and mm. and he does he walks off without a care and leaves them to figure it out. It's so brilliant. Um, I actually have a theory, Timmy. I don't know whether we want to go into it now, but we, we, you just raised it now, like with that whole "this is the way" thing. Yeah. As to why the Mandalorian is good, whereas most of the other Star Wars movies that have been made prior to that were more or less rubbish. As in, since Star Wars Seven. Yeah. Yeah, it's because Mandalorian's stoic. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> no, no, no. I, it's close. I think um, even more profoundly, I think what 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 they've done. The problem with all those other Star Wars is they've tried to make it very materialistic, you know. And they went into like, what was it? Those things that you could measure someone's DNA and see if they're a Jedi. Metachlorians. Metachlorians. Yeah. All that rubbish. And I, I think what they've done is they've actually sucked the soul out of the story. But when you get when you come back to like things like the Mandalorian, and he's talking about you know this is the way. And the dude's got like, you know, he's got like a, a purpose and he's got like a code. Like, I think that automatically then points back towards like a transcendent idea that ties the story together. And I think that's mm. why the latest Star Wars has got good again, because they've just, they've disregarded all that rubbish and they've gone back to something that's a lot more um, like the first couple of movies. It's also because they're consulting directly with George Lucas and he's not getting interference that um because he knows mythology very well man he did a lot of uni exactly. work on mythology and he knows his stuff and even like i know i i bag out the prequels like one two and three but i'm telling you they've aged actually quite well particularly the third one i i remember when i first watched it i was like man that happened really fast and it doesn't make sense but it's brilliant 
it is brilliant and I don't know I I think you guys should rewatch um the third one and now that we've spent go. time in in philosophy and mythology because it it is pretty amazing it, it it's well written I think I mean the dialogue could have been more polished but the ideas are pretty good mm. much better than that's... 7 8 and 9 I think when you talk about mythology, I think that's what it is. It's that that transcendent. That's something that's greater than just the, you know, the material sort of just action sort of storytelling. It, it, it's sort of there's a greater meaning there. That's probably a good way to put it. Greater meaning, which I think is kind of very Socratic. I mean, that's what he keeps banging on about. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, you know, the material world is all very good, but there's there's, there's a greater meaning beyond that. I will point out though he kept the Beskar, right? <laughs> after he <laughs> after he goes back and slays the bad guy, he still kept the Beskar, right? <laughs> True, but uh, you've lo- parking. I'm not, I'm not familiar enough with. Uh, you'll you'll, you'll get you'll get there. You'll get there. They all hate you, man. Look at them. <laughs> um, I will say since I've read Jordan Peterson's Maps of Meaning every movie i watch has changed how i watch it and um, that book is yeah. amazing it's very complicated though i i ain't doing that book on this show <laughs> too hard but i i think um i might actually get that for you guys in the near future a copy each because that book it changed the way i look at almost everything that's presented to me through media of any media like music books movies that that one book really made me think differently interesting i'm skeptical i'll check it out it's worth it it's worth the read all right well let's let's move on to um the part i was alluding to at the start which is um socrates bags out people who tell stories and then at the end of this chapter goes well i will tell you a tale Not one of the tales which Odysseus tells to the hero Elkinius, yet this too is a tale of a hero. Er, the son of Amenius, a Pamphylian by birth, he was slain in battle, and ten days afterwards, when the bodies of the dead were taken up already in a state of corruption, his body was found unaffected by decay and carried away home to be buried. And on the twelfth day, as he was lying on the funeral pile, he returned to life, and told them what he had seen in the other world. So basically, dude goes, dude dies, goes to the afterlife, learns a bunch of stuff, and comes back. Did he die, or was he just knocked out? Like, was he in a coma? He was no, dead. He was dead. That is the yeah. story, yeah, bro. Yeah. <laughs> just um, by way of background, um, this uh, this story, um, yeah, it, it's a it's a well known. Um, story in those ancient Greek times. Um, so it's not something new that uh, Socrates or Plato, for that matter, is kind of rolling out. Um, it, it's a it's it's well, a story that's got its own sort of basis. So was it was it a story like Homer, or was it like I was alluding to before, where it was like a known event? It, it's written a, about in the same way that Zeus and the gods are written about. So as though it is a known event, but uh, I don't, who knows where those stories 
came from. They're obviously an oral tradition at some point in time, and the stories have been passed down. So, yeah, but it, but it's, I think it's a commonly do, held story from that time. So, you do raise an interesting point there, Jimmy. Though, I mean, is he by saying, "Yeah, this bloke died and came back, and this is what he said." Is he trying to put it on a slightly higher level than the poets? Is he kind of say, well, "I think so." Is, you got poetry, and he's, this guy's yeah. kind of like he's kind of like saying, "This is witness testimony." I think he is yeah, because he, he says that he he will say, "I'll tell you a tale, but not one of the tales which Odysseus tells to the hero." Like he's yeah. he's definitely he's trying saying, to say not just some poem. Yeah, mm. because he knows if he uh, admits that it's some poem, <laughs> oh, he's going to get wrecked. Himself. He's going to get wrecked hard. <laughs> Like yeah. well done for oh, well done for completely uh, removing the credibility of your source material. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it was written by Homer or something, I mean, he's just been uh, been junking all of that, even though he says it's a ripping good read, but it's bullshit, you know. Um, so um, <laughs> I, I think uh, I think he's definitely putting yeah. out there as, as, as something factual. Yeah, let me let me read. Um, this is a note that came in my book. Um, it's okay. actually quite helpful, but. Um, this concluding section is a dialogue. This concluding section of the dialogue is cast in the form of a myth, as is Plato's habit when he wishes to convey religious or moral truths for which plain prose is inadequate. Um, much of the details are borrowed from contemporary sources, like Lockman was saying. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a probably good way to frame it. Um, and I, I was thinking, yeah, there are other times where he sort of does that, like. You know, with his thing of the cave, and you know that one about the boat and the captain. So when he wants to sort of explain something that he can't really explain in straight language, he does sort of resort to these stories, which I think mm. you're right, Tim. Raises the whole question of, um, well, are you just basically doing what the poets do, really? Yeah, I, I still feel like, based on the context of him just sledging people for half a chapter. I feel like he feels that this story has credibility uh, and it could be because maybe he feels the person who reported these things is like the person that builds the chair in that they've actually done it, they've died yeah. and then come back and so he's like okay because they've actually died for 12 days what they say has knowledge because they did it whereas yeah i haven't done that you haven't done that but this dude died and now he's back so he's the guy to listen to yeah absolutely and uh like just as far as like credibility of this this story goes oh i'm gonna it's a bit of a spoiler because we haven't sort of gotten into it i suppose but the the more i yeah, who are the? Uh, I don't think we have to shout out spoiler alerts for a two and a no, half. No, no, that's it. Haven't worked it out by now. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the Moray are the the sort of uh, deities who are involved in this afterlife sort of story, and they are said to be the, the daughters of uh, of Zeus, actually. So, that they are part of the religious backbone of this thing. So it is it is an established part of their existing religious structure for sure. So yeah. Uh, so I think that's why he can speak so confidently to it as being factual. Yeah. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah gotcha. Um, so what is this myth? Yeah. What is this little little story? What happens to this bloke after he dies? It's like reincarnations, sort of things, in a way. 
So like he, I totally agree. yeah. So he goes and sees, and I'm talking about my backside here, but I, I think <clears> I understand. But if I'm wrong, just overall. <laughs> but um, I I think he goes to like a heaven place and sees people who have served out their judgment of like a thousand years. Um, so they they did things right, they got heaven for a thousand years. If they did things wrong, they got hell for a thousand years. And then they sort of come back out to this neutral place and then get to choose where they go for their next life. So it's kind of like a purgatory or heaven. And then after a time, you get to be reincarnated. Yeah, there's a really... Uh, I think uh, what you're saying there about that sort of thousand times thing, that that's worth talking about quickly too, because that's just... Uh, I think that's part of the backbone for why um, Socrates and... Plato are kind of like trying to push, you know, why you should be just in this life, whether someone's watching or not, because when you get to that place, your soul will be weighed more or less for the good deeds and the bad deeds that you've done. And as as Tim's saying, for every bad deed you've done, you get, you know, was it 10 times or a thousand times, whatever it was. Yeah. I think you have to pay it back a thousand times. Yeah, this is also why the immortality of the soul is essential to this system. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely, because uh, it's it, it sort of it's cyclical. So, um, you know, if you've done the wrong thing, you're going to get this, you know, thousand years of time in hell. Otherwise, you know, if you've done all the right things, you might get the thousand years in heaven. And as Tim says, you're coming back to this middle ground and, um, you know, you get to have another go. And so that's where the, where the souls are going to get sort of reincarnated and have an opportunity to do the, well, play out another life. It's interesting the way they sort of talked about that. Um, and look, we're not diving in too much. If you want to read this part, there's some really interesting um, and detailed, um, I suppose, like scene setting that goes on. It's not like super important to the story that we're sort of telling here, but it is interesting. Um, so, you know, that's sort of where these fates, um, which are the, uh, the, uh, the three sort of goddesses, uh, one of the past, one of the present, one of the future. And it's the goddess of the past who sort of has an, an a, uh, and a, she allots, um, what is it, ballots or what have you. And uh, the souls that are there waiting get to select one. And uh, that just sort of forms the order. And then there seems to be, it's almost like there's like a, a cards of lo- potential lives lying out in front of you and the first one gets to go out and go through all of the lives and pick which one that they want to go for. And uh, I think this is where it got sort of interesting. They're talking about how much experience the soul had and whether it had had a rough what experience. Had on what they chose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that uh, a soul who's had kind of like a, a cushy life without, you know, much experience. And funny enough, he actually drew a, sort of parallel around uh, living in a state, uh, like a well-performing state where they didn't have to think too hard about being morally right because they were in a good state that had foundations to have them traveling the right way, right? So it was almost by default, he's saying like some souls might get like a, a sweet run and do all the right things just because their environment is good. they're in the right society, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then saying, oh, then they got like a sweet gig going to heaven for a period of time come back and then they go pick a ballot and then maybe um, they, they, uh, badly. 
yeah, they choose badly because they, they don't understand that maybe one of these lives, it's kind of like rich or famous or whatever. It comes with its um, complexity that has you walking a path that might be hard to be a just or honest person. And uh, yeah. yeah, so that, that they haven't really actually... Yeah, I found that interesting. Like where basically they just do the right thing out of habit, not because of their philosophy mm. and that they're missing their philosophy. Specifically, why, yeah. once again, yeah. Socrates is always saying, you know, you have to go and, and look for the truth yourself. You have to have philosophy if you really want to understand mm. things because, you know, and this is kind of him saying this is what happens. But he's also, <laughs> yeah. he also alludes to that philosophy is the path to immortality. Did yeah. you guys pick that up? No, you uh, have to expound that for me. Yeah, I didn't get that so one. So there's a part where um, towards the end, before they get reincarnated, they go through the waters where you don't remember. Yep. And oh, the only on. before, one... Before you go there, yeah. before you go there, just, just to make it clear for people. So you die, you go to this place, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. Once you've served your time, you then get to choose a life. And then once you've chosen your life, they go on this journey to this river where they drink and then you forget everything and then you start your new life. Is that right? Correct. Well, the, the, the journey okay. from start to finish, I think they talk about being eight days and uh, I think it was yeah. like the fourth day, they get to that ballot where they get to uh, select their their future life. Then they continue that journey. It goes through a desert or something. And so I think the idea yeah. is that by the time they get through the desert, they're very thirsty then they hit this river of forgetfulness and they're so thirsty that, you know, they, they drink their fill. And the idea is that the soul kind of forgets all the stuff it knows before it gets uh, drop kicked back into planet earth and uh, has and to find its again. way again without all yeah. this. Sorry, sorry to yeah. No, you're right. You're so that's exactly right. You there, Jimmy. Yeah. But, but then from that point, the philosopher remembers not to drink too much. And that's 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 oh. his, that's his point, right? So if you hang what? on to the philosophy, and you pursue the life that's simple, I'm just the, totally. the philosopher at the end doesn't overdrink. Well, was that because he was a philosopher? I didn't catch that he was a philosopher. I know he was uh, slain in battle, was what they said, but they didn't call him a philosopher, did they? Well, I, I think it's because he's a philosopher. I think he's hinting that if you have true philosophy, and you hold mm. on to philosophy that even in the afterlife when you come to this pool of forgetfulness because you hold on to philosophy you won't lose philosophy yeah he did specifically mention that he chose not to uh to drink so much there was some comment like that i have to find the passage yeah um all right yeah look that up and i think i'll just talk about that because um there's another platonic dialogue um, where Socrates talks about knowledge and he basically in that says that you don't learn things anew what you're doing is actually remembering so that ties right in because yes. that, that's a really weird thing yeah. to say so I found like, the passage but yeah fine. you're right so he says and thus Glaucon the tale has been saved and has not perished and will save us if we are obedient to the word spoken and we shall pass safely over the rival of forgetfulness and our soul will not be defiled Mm, mm, mm. damn dude okay. I missed that totally yeah, so me too. it's while he's saying the path to every, all souls are immortal I think he's saying the path to e immortal awareness maybe or philosophical immortality is through mm. philosophy 
I mean, look, that would make sense in any case for, I think that argument, like you're saying before Rubes, um, about sort of like knowledge and enlightenment being, being at the top of that totem pole in any case, because that's about sort of connection with the soul and connection to your true being. So finding that inner truth and hidden knowledge that he believes you already possessed in your, in your soul, um, I guess from the previous lives. Yeah, interesting. No, I didn't, interesting. that's not something I picked up on, Timmy. I'll have to have another read of that. That's very interesting. Yeah. It's the very last paragraph of the book. And it's like, oh my <laughs> god, damn it. I want more. I want more. Where's the rest? <laughs> the um, other interesting thing with this, because I found it a little bit uh, contradictory, um, was that uh, well, these goddesses, they're known as the, the fates. And um, essentially those lives that they're selecting from are what is fated to you, right? So it is a, uh, it, it's a written foretelling of what your, your future is going to be. And I found that sort of a bit difficult because I was like, well, you know, if they already know what the future is on that card, are you deciding to be a, a just man or an unjust man? Oh, um, or is it that straight in straight into the free will versus uh, predestination topic? <laughs> well, well, that's just kind of what it, it sort of sounded like. Or is or are they sort of saying like, basing on what you were just talking about there, Tim? Maybe the true philosopher, because they don't go through those rivers of forgetfulness, is actually able to break their fate in a sense because they can see the real truth and can seek justice, even if they sort of pick a bad jam, I suppose, from. Um, from the deck of cards of life um yeah i just found that really interesting um well i thought yeah that was one of the things i highlighted too because he he does say in there i can't find the quote but he basically says in there and this is why you can't blame the gods for your misfortune yes you had a choice. yeah yeah which um that's 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 pretty interesting because that's you know one of those things that gets discussed throughout the ages isn't it Mm, yeah that sure. sounds very sure. familiar about uh oh who's that guy <sighs> who's that guy um who wrote oh he was he was in the um nazi was it the nazi camp or the russian camp Peterson talks about him. Maybe. or alexander solzhenitsyn that's him he 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 came to the conclusion that it was his fault that he was where he was rather than yeah well who captured when, him. when he says when he says he he means collectively as in the reason that things got as bad as they did in russia is because um everyone didn't speak the truth kind of thing um, yeah, sure, but him sure. included but yeah he took it like um, ownership anyway, of that personal ownership of it yeah yeah mm -hmm. um yeah so yeah I, that was a really interesting thing too there's some um, massive things right right at the end here eh? like they're big ideas yeah i am um, there's another bit that i highlighted too i just before i forget i was going to mention it like he has a list of things that people go to hell for and i thought it was an interesting yeah. list because he, he throws in there um people who have or cast others into slavery so i know we were talking about slavery about ten thousand episodes ago so mm. <laughs> yeah he, he's, he puts that as someone that would uh, go to hell or Hades or whatever they call it. Um, and uh, I'll just read the bit I highlighted. Definitely. And he describes the even greater penalties 
and rewards for those who had honoured or dishonoured gods or their parents or committed murder. So he's got a couple of, like, kind of really high-end crimes there. Yeah, like really <laughs> high-end crimes, like dishonouring the gods, your parents, or committing murder. So they're, they're kind mm, of like yeah. his top three. So I thought that was interesting too. And slavery. Yeah. Oh, well, slavery kind of wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. They threw slavery. Well, slavery is interesting. Betraying the state or the army. Hmm. I think slavery is interesting given it's such a common occurrence in that time. Um, that's a really interesting call out. I mean, right at the very start of the book, so. you've got uh, Paul Marcus's um, slave chasing after um, Glaucon and Socrates, telling them to stop on their way to the festival because they wanted to divert them to their place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, present company. Sorry, sorry, boys, you're going to hell, you know? Like. I feel like he dropped it right at the end there when most people have nodded off and all left the room. Go you know. to the bar. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. that's slavery. Kind <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right of a sneaky. Yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, you know, the I think there's some really interesting concepts there. Um there's too much. There's of... just too much there for us to do it any real justice. Like Lachlan said, anyone yeah. listening to this, just go read it. You've just got to, got to do it. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of detail in that story. Um, yeah, like I said, not all of it's relevant, but it is interesting. Uh, and like it, I must say, it sort of spurned me on to, to, to read a bit more about the, the idea of this as well, just because um, I was curious. But um, what do you think about, uh, you know, speaking before about sort of universal truths and things like that um you know this is a obviously a, a story that is part of let's say their re- religion at the time and the the parallels maybe about uh someone being reincarnated and telling them how to save their soul and um i'll speak to that first i don't mind um i some of the language felt a bit like revelation um an old testament all the rings within the rings and that stuff yeah it felt very um familiar that sort of stuff um but the reincarnation uh was obviously a little bit foreign to me but um, for sure yeah it's but i thought like maybe like the story of this particular dude um dying and then Coming, coming back, back from the to dead. Yeah. yeah, ten days later to tell you the resurrection to... aspect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about yeah, seven yeah. days and... too long for my liking. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they measured time differently back then. I don't know. But, uh... Well, yeah, I don't know. Like, um, what am I thinking about that? The, I, I, I don't know. I. There's, there's plenty of examples even 100 or 200 years ago of um, you know digging up coffins where people have woken up inside um, yeah you know the fact that he was found on a battleground they thought he's dead and then wakes up later you know yeah. it could have been could have been coma could have been something you know I, I you know I don't know it's yeah. the only time I've ever heard of it is from this book so I've got very very small amount of information about it so oh no for sure I'd I guess I'll just, can i just can i just do a quick yeah, shout out before um i forget there's a bloke on the facebook page for our probably for middle-aged men uh 
Buddhist monk being um, dug up to be redressed and they found him smiling. So mm. um, that kind of it, it was, was a really interesting little YouTube thing too. Because I think, I think mm. the Buddhists are right into the um, reincarnation, reincarnation type too, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, big time. I, I mean, the Christian faith doesn't say that there's not an afterlife. Um, like we go into what the Bible says, like you go to heaven and you get a what they call a spiritual body. Um, I don't know exactly what that would look like. Probably my preference would be less grey hairs, but maybe they're all white and shining. I don't know. But um, <laughs> there's still like a second round so to speak of existence but it's not the same it's very different whereas this seems to be like have another round and then have another round and yeah yeah um i want to look into more how that works in regards to the broader greek mythology of the time because Hmm. um is it am i right in seeing that man was created by Zeus or Poseidon one of the three right I don't know I, I yeah and I don't think alright I'm, I'm, for anyone listening I'm winging it here probably talking out on my butt <laughs> um, that's what we do my kind of understanding of uh, Greek yeah as if it's any different from any other time in this podcast <laughs> um, the, the uh, I think one of the things that's not unique but similar with Egyptian mythology and Greek mythology I think they all kind of had this idea of like the demiurge so I think they all kind of believe that the universe is is eternal and then it goes through it's cyclical it goes through different stages so um, I, I think that's distinctly different from the Christian conception which is that God is eternal, but the universe was created by God, so the universe itself is not eternal. Um, I um, I just looked up the creation of man in Greek mythology. Oh, okay. Um, So uh, Prometheus shaped man out of mud and Athena breathed life into his clay figure. Ah, there you go. Yeah, right. Mm. So that would imply not eternal because it had a beginning. No, no, no. But well, the matter, heaven. the matter that they, um, the matter that they used to create the people was already there. And like I said, once again, I'm, I'm totally winging it, but I think mm. like that, that understanding is that there was, there's something that makes up the gods and the gods come out of that thing. And then that, th- then that, that thing creates order out of that demiurge, that thing that's already existed the universe Mm. yeah that's the problem with eternity let me explain right so if you um, if you're born today and then someone's born in a week and you both are immortal and live eternally then who's older like that's the problem with eternity Uh. Well, because it's infinite, it right? It just keeps going, it keeps I... going, and keeps going. Yeah. So, yeah, but, but the other one's still always going to be a couple of days older, right? <laughs> There's a firstborn, yeah, but 
like okay <laughs> let me put it maybe i'm not putting it in the right way like um all right so the let's so let's talk biblical stories so biblical stories are abraham's in heaven right so let's say abraham's in heaven and then peter's in heaven and they both live for eternity in heaven does that make abraham older even though they're both now eternal well does this that is interesting because this was this came up earlier in the chapter and i left it alone because i was like i'm not going there, I'm not going there. <laughs> okay. so, so socrates actually addresses this because i'm just going to read it because otherwise it's it, i don't know whether i can yeah I can cool. so okay we can take that then as proven and he's talking about the whole thing about you know what can kill a thing something else that can kill that thing can't kill a thing mm-hmm. that's not clear but we can we can take it then that's proven i said and if so it follows that the same souls are have always existed their number cannot be decreased because the soul can die because because no soul can die nor can it increase any increase in the immortal must be at the expense of mortality and if that were possible everything would in the end be immortal and then Lacan says true but that is something which our argument forbids us to believe so i mean without going into too much detail is socrates essentially saying immortal means eternal like are those two terms do they mean the same thing in socrates's mind mm. maybe that's we need to because if, the original if, greek yeah and that because that was what i got really got hung up on the first time i read through it because i didn't really understand his argument at that point where he's like well if something can't die it's immortal and if it's immortal the the, the numbers can't increase or decrease mm. Um, and I think he's right. If something is eternal, well, we, we, what these days the, the term eternal would mean there's no start and no end, right? Mm, well, then yeah. they, the numbers of those eternal things can't decrease and decrease. So, and do you so think, that yeah. just gets. He, he, he's... No, no, my head's spinning, man. You go. No, well, I was going to say, do you think that's why so many species of animals have to go extinct because humans keep breeding? I was actually thinking the exact same thing in that the correlation of uh, uh, population growth could could be offset by the um, reduction in animal growth. Because we should say something we didn't talk about in the story as well, um, that there were people or souls that would choose chose to, be animals. to come back. That's right. Yeah, yeah, chose to come back as animals rather than people. Yeah. So uh, the hippies are right. We need to have less people. Otherwise, uh, we keep making people go extinct. Well, yeah, well, their religion was seeing them sacrificing animals on uh, altars to the gods, which are souls just like them, right, in their own mm. religion, which I find, uh, you know, amazing that in a way that they weren't all, like, vegetarian. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. No, but you're actually... We're laughing, but you're right. Like, I mean, is Socrates right? If, if there's a... If souls are eternal and I'm using mm. that word in conjunction with immortal, then the numbers can't change and they must exist. Every living creature must have some kind of immortal soul. And then, then is that essentially like, that's, that's the, what do you call it? The, well, I think they call it pantheistic, the pantheistic worldview kind of thing. 
Mm. But but do you um, is this where we get in now to that territory of is consciousness the soul, or is the soul separate to consciousness? That's, that's a different argument, right? That's there. a whole nother show, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think those are more modern distinctions. I'm not sure mm. they're applicable. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying they're not I, applicable, I, but I'm just I, saying. I, I, I'm not sure. I think Genesis makes it pretty clear that, uh, you know, Adam could find no suitable helper, you know, no suitable partner, and that um, he required Eve because none of the other animals are like a person. Yeah, but the mm. term consciousness is contemporary in terms of, um, like, and, and I think I, I agree with you in the sense that, yeah, the, I think that's what makes the christian worldview unique because um souls are immortal they last forever but they're not eternal like socrates is suggesting they have a start point mm. I yeah think I, that's, I think that is the difference i think that's the difference that we're looking at between i guess you would the christian idea of souls and the socratic and the pantheistic and um, those other sort of ideas. Once again, That's sorry everyone, point. I'm, just, I'm winging it here. I, um, <laughs> but no, but I think you're onto um, something. Like I, I make the distinction between consciousness and soul probably because I've been listening to too much Joe Rogan when they talk about artificial intelligence and trying to figure out what consciousness is. But the, I, I when I read soul in like the biblical text, I immediately just think of consciousness because I perceive that it's. Um, God breathing his spirit into man then results in consciousness by his soul. Well, what, what if I, cause I just saw it, I must admit, I didn't read the article, but I saw something um, pop up somewhere and they're talking about like basically uploading your consciousness into AI. Yes, I've been um, reading about that. Oh, for a couple bro. Of years. I've been yeah, reading about yeah. that for a couple of years, yeah. Yeah. Well, Musk has taken yeah. it a step further with his Neuralink. He's saying that you can save versions of your consciousness. So you've got to have well, that's like what, a that, 2021 yeah. version the, and then a 2024 version. Have you guys seen all the greatest hits? I haven't seen yeah. Alter Carbon, though. It's it's oh, actually one of my favorite books. Carbon, bro. Read the book. Don't watch the show. Read the cool. book. All right. All right. I'll get a hold of it. Maybe uh, we can do that for our next book club. <laughs> It's yeah. uh from the Republic to Altered Coven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, but I think I think it's a smooth transition after their conversation tonight because it's maybe, uh, maybe. Altered Coven. The whole idea is that you can upload your consciousness. Yeah, they mm. realize uh, space travel is inefficient, and so that it's uh, more efficient to download your consciousness and beam your consciousness into another body on the other side of the universe. Than to, to yeah. than to transmit your body. Well, yeah, they can just they can just produce bodies. What do you call it? Like grow them in vats, and then you just put your well, consciousness. Yeah. Star Trek. Star in, Trek actually figured that out. Yeah. In Star Trek, when you get beamed, you're not the same body. It's reconstructing your body's particles on the other side. So you yeah. get destroyed on one side and recreated on the other. And that that was a Star Trek mm. idea back from fifty years ago mm. or whatever it was. So. Wait, did Willy Wonka predate Star Trek? <laughs> he might have. I don't he think so. Have. Because they talked about that in Willy Wonka. 
Okay. No, I uh, I want to say Shatner was there first. In fact, I have. Give me a second. Do you know what? It's probably similar times because uh, was the characters in Willy Wonka is like that kid Jimmy TV or something or other, and he's like watching westerns on the TV. Yeah. Um, so probably similar era, similar era. Just above. We apologise, listeners. This has probably been one of the I most, have... the longest and most rambly episodes we've ever done. For yeah, our, but it's good. It's good. One. So up up above my <laughs> desk here, I have a um, Bird of Prey and the USS Enterprise model, and I also have my box set of season one of Star Trek of the original series. Of course. You do. So I can't is... tell you my true thoughts on Star Trek because they're just not appropriate for public discourse, <laughs> and then they're, they're all negative. Just to be clear, well, I'm trying to see when it was actually originally recorded. <laughs> I thought it might say it on the box for me. It'd be sixties. But... Do you know why I bought this? I got this because uh, I was away for work once a few years ago in this hotel. And they had, they actually had a decent TV. It was like a 50 inch TV. Hold on, hold on. Before you go any further, what is this? Because people may not be watching the video. The very first season of Star Trek ever. Right, thank you. And it came up on this 50 inch plasma, I think it was, TV. And the special effects were hilarious. That it was literally one of the aliens. You could see it was a green sock with a guy's hand in it with some like decorations on there. And that was one of the alien plants. And then I saw Kirk fight this giant dinosaur thing in like this Mortal Kombat fight, and I'm like, "This is the funniest show I've ever seen." It's, uh, <laughs> and I bought it's, the I bought the whole box set just to watch it in laughter. <laughs> it's like WWE because like it was all those total wrestling moves all the way through. It. Yeah, it double hand <laughs> punch, hammer fist. Yep. It was mad. Yeah. <laughs> So don't watch also, it. So we should point out that uh, Tim is a uh, a closet Shatner music fan, which uh, is a special not, thing all the time. I'm not closet about my Shatner fandom. Music. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm gonna put you out. I'm gonna put you out of your misery. So series one Star Trek came out in '66, and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory book came out in '64. Whoa! Oh, there you go. It was first. There you go. <laughs> Cool you guys, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien is better than George R.R. R. Martin and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is better than Star Trek. Well, I think there was probably more drugs used in uh, Willy Wonka, so they probably came to the ID first, which seems to be a common theme for most uh, scientific brain breakthroughs at the moment. I'm sure there's Wouldn't legal drugs, there. just different types. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all the 60s. Oh gosh! Well, boys, well, um, on that bombshell, I hate to pull everyone up. I think we're in the weeds. I think we're done. Yeah, I think we're done. Yeah. Um, so next episode, just before we wrap up, um, I want to revisit what we think the key learnings were from each chapter. Maybe spend two to five minutes per chapter key learnings, just to sort of go. We learnt this, and then we learnt this, and learnt this um, to summarize what we've learnt, and also maybe just discuss like if this book is changed you in any way or made you change your thinkings and I think it'll be a good episode and then we've got to figure out what the heck we're going to read next <laughs> uh, that's the fun part uh, okay. suggestions if anyone Thanks. actually listens to this and wants to throw suggestions onto the Facebook page we'll uh, consider it for sure exactly I've certainly got my ideas but like I said I chose the first one so first there <laughs> <laughs> well we'll wrap it up thank you gentlemen what a 
what an extraordinary amount of time this took. We when we first set out, we said ten weeks. Months later, we got it. So, thanks for uh, sticking with me and getting through it. And um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, and for those listening, thanks for sticking with us. And uh, remember, the Republic wasn't built in a day, and neither the Age Men, neither was reading this book. But we got through it. <laughs> so, uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. See you. Boys. See ya.